podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Summer 2022 Two-Footed Podcast EPL Roundtable Crossover Transfer Review Bonanza. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined, as always, for this by Mr. Kevin DeVries. How are you, sir? Yep, not doing too badly, (laughs) obviously. uh, I think I mentioned this last year. I'm watching less European football than I used to, so these might be more uh, takeaways and individual player scouting ID stuff that I used to do, but... Always a pleasure joining you, and if I'm more wrong than usual, feel free to at me on Twitter, <laughs> at Kevrov. <laughs> yes, you can find Kev at Kevrov. You can find the EPL Roundtable at EPL Roundtable. Make sure you're listening every Sunday or Monday, depending on when it gets released. Uh, the latest one hosted by Jake Jackman, which was quite good. So, yeah. Um, right, what we're going to do, we're going to split this in half. We're going to do... 10 teams in this one, 10 teams in part two. I'll start this one with Arsenal. So we're also going to put a time limit on these so we don't go too long. Let's start with Arsenal. Going into the summer, Kev, I thought they needed a starting striker, a starting midfielder, a backup goalkeeper, a backup right back, a backup left-footed centre-back, a backup midfielder, and a backup left-back. Mm. They brought in Gabriel Jesus, who filled the striker need. Matt Turner, who fills the backup goalkeeper. Zinchenko, who's both backup midfielder and now apparently starting left-back, meaning Kieran Tierney is the backup, even though I think that downgrades them a little bit. They brought in Fabio Vieira, who's a player I didn't think they needed. And they brought in a young winger in Marquinhos. For me, they've left themselves short here. They didn't find the starting midfielder they needed. So they're still playing with Granit Xhaka as a starter. They're lacking quality when Thomas Partey is not there. I think they're a little bit light at the back. But if Ben White is going to be the backup, which I hope he will be when Tommy Asu's fully fit, then White can cover that right-sided centre-back and right-back spots. But they still need a left-sided, a left-footed left-side centre-back. Overall, I, I think they brought in good players. I don't think they necessarily brought in anyone that drastically improves them. Jesus is an upgrade on Lacazette. I just don't believe it's as big an upgrade as some of their fans think. Vieira is a confusing one because he plays the exact same position as Odegaard, who's their new club captain. And Zinchenko I like as a player, but I don't think he's as good a left-back as Kieran Tierney, and I don't think he's quite good enough to be a starter on a team with real ambition in the Premier League. So overall, I've given them a B, but I do think it's still a positive summer for Arsenal. Yeah, I've given them an A- minus for a lot of the reasons that you've given them. I think I think slightly higher of Gabriel Jesus than perhaps you do. And I also see the value of having somebody like Zinchenko and bringing both of them in from a place with a winning culture domestically. Obviously, Arteta knows them both. Um, from his time at City. Um, the, the the Zinchenko one, though, I really like because uh, inarguably Kieran Tierney is a better left back. But 
continues to deal with injuries. So I really like the idea of Zinchenko as basically a young James Milner, a name that I promise not to bring up again for the rest of the show um, <laughs> after recent events. But um, the idea that he can fill in, like you said, in midfield at left back or left wing back um, to, to deputize there, I think is it makes him a great choice. I think the weird part is that maybe he's not first choice at either when everyone's fit. But, you know, it's a position that they definitely needed to address. And now they've addressed it twice. And you mentioned they're still short in midfield. So if that's where he needs to play more often, better for it. Um, I understand that for legal reasons, we cannot jump too far into some of Arsenal's potential mm. midfield issues. Yes. I don't know how much we can include that in the grading scale because that makes them not bringing in a true central midfielder much worse. And yes. allegedly... People may have known in a timely enough manner to have addressed it in the window. They knew in June. Right. They knew in June. So in um, theory, that should knock it down. So actually, I, I will uh, amend my grade to a B because if they knew and still didn't address it while knowing that they had injury prone players, while knowing Jacques's history at the club um, and knowing that because of Tierney's injuries, you might have to play Zinjenko at, at left back more. They probably did leave themselves short there. And I just found their fascination with trying to buy another winger to be quite weird because you've got Saka, you've got Martinelli, you've got Smith Rowe, you bring in this Marquinhos kid who's scored tonight in the Europa League. I don't really understand why you tried to spend sixty million on Rafinha or why you were chasing other wingers when you had other areas that needed to be filled first. But um yeah. Which aligns with your Vieira point, which yeah. also weird. You already have players in those positions. Great talent. Very mad he went there, but still confusing. Mm, agreed. Right, so that's B's all around. Uh, you want to take Villa? I will indeed. And this is also kind of a weird window because, Dave, I feel like we keep giving them pretty decent grades because of the talent accumulation they've been doing. Um, but I'm not really sure. The further we get into this process, the further we get into Jared being the manager, I'm not really sure how they're all meant to fit in together. Like, they're a very FIFA 11 or squad overall. Because, like, I love them signing Kamara and, and Diego Carlos. I think they're both very good players. But I'm not sure that fits into a comprehensive transfer strategy because I'm sure, and I'm pretty sure I saw you tweet when they signed Diego Carlos. You're like, great. There's Diego Carlos, and he's going to play next to uh, Consa, and that's a good pairing. And then immediately Villa fans are like, no, he's going to play next to um, Mings. And you're like, don't do that. And then that's what happened to start the season mm. was the two of them playing together. Now, obviously, because of injuries, uh, they're back to their pairing from last season. But if that was the intent, why is that the player that you went out and bought? Same with Kamara and how he fits into their midfield, um, which I think they've mostly been playing in a three this season, if memory serves. But it, it just it just seems odd and like a continuation of that trend of signing talented players. You, you know what it actually reminds me of? And this might be rude or it might just be because of the colors. It kind of reminds me of West Ham pre-Moyes, where they were just like, who are literally the best footballers that we can get to agree to play at this club? Yeah. <clears throat> and then you just like let that drive your transfer strategy. And you're just assuming that talent is going, going to overwhelm your opponent. But I don't really think, A, it works like that, B, the tactics are good enough to make it work, or that the uh, player IDs of these players and how they match up with each other and players in, in similar positions works. 
So I, I, I'm pretty sure I've continually given them good grades while they've added all these players, but I think we've hit my tipping point. So gone for a C. Yeah. I mean, I had them needing seven players before the window opened starting striker, starting 10, starting center back, starting holding midfielder, backup keeper and two backup fullbacks. They kept Coutinho who they had on loan. Now, it was a position of need, I felt, because I thought, you know, you want to have him and Buendia. Buendia, for me, I can take him or leave him. I would have liked to have another one. So they kept Coutinho, so that's okay. He might be past his, he is past his best. But at least it's a position of need. Same thing with Diego Carlos. He's a good centre-back. He's just not the centre-back they needed. And he's also, I think, well... Jared's taken a weird approach here with his age profiling, bringing in the likes of Coutinho and Carlos and Luca Dina in January, players that are late 20s pushing 30. Whereas, you know, Bubakar Kamara is 21 and fits in with Jacob Ramsey, who's the same age, and Douglas Louise, who's 24, 25, and Ezri Konza, who's 24, 25, and Matty Cash, who's 24, 25, and even Ollie Watkins, who's like 26 in being a young team that can develop together, it feels to me like Jared is trying to, has tried to rush the process along. And unfortunately, as you said, the tactics aren't very good. I think there's a good team at Villa waiting for a good manager. Like, I don't mind keeping Robin Olsen as a backup goalkeeper. I think getting Augustinson in on loan as a backup left-back is fine. If the decision is that Ashley Young is your backup right back, then that's okay as well, as long as you're not relying on him to play 10 or 12 games in a row. I think they needed to go and get another striker. I think they needed somebody to play up front with Watkins, someone who's more of an out-and-out nine, because I just think Watkins is a little bit lost between being a true nine and a wide forward, because when he was at uh, Brentford and before that at Exeter, he was a wide forward until that last year at Brentford. So I think it's a bit of an incomplete window for them. But they did address positions of need, and that's important. They did get yeah. players in the most part who were better than what they had. So I'm going to give them a B minus. What do you think was the point of Dendonker? Because we just addressed the fact that Kamara is an interesting choice in midfield and Carlos was an interesting choice at centre back, and Dendonker kind of does half of each. Oh, and they brought in they brought in Dendonker and Jan Bednarak as well. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Gerard has a weird obsession with wanting four centre-backs at, at all times, and I assume then uh, Bednarak is a bit of a panic reaction to the intra- the injury to Diego Carlos. Then Donker, I think, I think they, they believe they're going to lose Douglas Luis in January or in the summer, next summer mm. on a free, and I think he's... I mean, they of, almost lost him on deadline day, so... Yeah, and I think he's just sort of insurance... He was cheap. His contract was up next summer as well. Look, he's a he's a decent player and he can play in three or four positions. Like he could play as an eight, a six and a centre back. So from a squad building point of view, it's not the worst move in the world. Um, I just don't know that it's the best use of your funds when, like I said, a backup right back or, you know, trying to find that striker probably would have been smarter for them. Um but yeah, those two don't don't change my grade. I'm gonna go with the with this with the B minus. And that'll move us on then to Brentford. Now, again, going into the summer, I had them needing a starting centre back, a starting right back, a starting midfielder, 
a backup goalkeeper, <clears throat> a backup centre-back, a backup left-back, and a backup striker. They didn't bring in a starting centre-back, in my view. They brought in Ben Mee, who I think is a backup centre-back in the Premier League. They brought in Aaron Hickey, who's a left-back, but they've converted him to right-back, and it's going well so far. I really like the signing of Mikkel Damsgaard in midfield. I think Thomas Strakosch is an outstanding get for them. Um, yeah. I, I like the signing of me as a backup, just not as a, as a starter. They didn't address the left-back position, which is a worry for me. Now, I get that Hickey could cover a cross, but then who's playing right-back? Because Roarslev is not good enough. And then they didn't buy a, a backup striker, because I thought they needed somebody that could fill in and give Tony a rest. But they did bring in Keen Lewis Potter, who I do like. But I still think they've left themselves with a couple of holes. And I'm, I am concerned about the lack of depth in this team. So again, as with Villa, I'm going to give them a B-. minus. Yeah, that's what I've given them as well. Like They're very smart. They're very well run. But it's just... Maybe this was the summer to just try and consolidate yourself. Second season syndrome in the Premier League is real... It's happened to a whole bunch of clubs, and I just worry about them. Now, I think they're going to be fine. They've started the season well, and they're a good team, good manager, good players. I'd just like to see a, a, that starting centre-back and a bit of depth for Tony and for Rico Henry, because mm. if either of them goes down, I think they're in a, a bit of trouble. Yeah, I do think the Domsgaard signing went a bit under the radar. I feel like last summer, everybody would have been hyping that one oh, a lot. Yeah. But, but him coming in, replacing Ericsson, because... I think Tony maybe even just last weekend proved that he wasn't as reliant on Ericsson as I think some people thought uh, for people that don't know. Basically, the second Ericsson started playing for Brentford, Tony's form shot up and then stayed up the whole rest of the season. Um, but bringing him in to <laughs> deputize for both the national team in a little bit and also for, for Brentford, I thought was a really good move. Yeah, for sure. Um, and look, like you said, if, if it was off the back of last year's Euros, I think people would be absolutely thrilled by it. But, you know, it just shows how fickle fans can be. I've just realized that we, well, I, not we, I forgot Bournemouth. So let's do them next. Uh, I had them needing a starting right back, a starting center back, a starting right winger, a backup goalkeeper, a backup left back, and a backup center, center midfielder. Now, when I did these, the, my purpose with these was, what would it take to reach the very best version of this squad without having to completely tear it down and build it back up again. And the very best version of Bournemouth is finishing 17th in the Premier League. So mm. I wasn't expecting much. Now, they brought in Ryan Fredericks, who fills the right-back spot, even though I don't think he's very good. Uh, I do like Marcus Sinisi, the centre-back they've brought in. I think he's a good player. Uh, they brought in uh, Tavernier, the winger from Middlesbrough, who's a good player. They brought in Neto from Barcelona. That's the backup goalkeeper. And Joe Rothwell from Blackburn as a backup central midfielder. Didn't address left back, but did get Jack Stevens from Southampton on deadline day on a loan, who is a, a, a solid enough Premier League bog standard centre-back. So I think it's very hard to judge this because they haven't spent a whole lot of money. They haven't mortgaged themselves against you know the long term of the future uh, long-term health of the club in the future but 
at the same time, like this is not a squad that's prepared for the Premier League. So I've got them as a C, and I think it's kind of a generous C as well. Yeah, I was kind of torn when coming to an actual grade. I know in the past we've done an NA when you've clearly not shown any intention of staying in the Premier League. Like, how do you how do you judge someone based off of that? Like, if your intention is to make a bad movie, like, what, what, what do you say about it? Um, but I think the one smart part here, which you kind of mentioned, is they didn't invest a whole lot under Scott Parker, who apparently internally they already had doubts about. If you're going to fire him, you know, whatever, less than five matches into the season. So, like, in theory, that's the good news is unlike some other clubs, which we'll get to in this half of the show, they didn't spend a lot of money on somebody that was about to immediately walk out the door. So, like, I think that if you if you consider all events since then, it's probably, yeah, like a C. But in terms of like an individual window with the intent being Scott Parker's our manager, let's try to stay in the Premier League. I think it's closer to a D. Yeah, that's that is fair. That is fair. Um, right, let's get ourselves back on track then with Brighton are next. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know how many Brighton supporters regular listen to these big shows of ours, but it's possible that even they are bored of us saying nice things about Brighton's windows. Um, but in my opinion, they've done it again for a lot of clubs around them, losing players like Basuma or Cucurella in the same window, um, would be really, really damaging. But they already had an internal replacement in Caicedo in midfield and make brilliant scouting and purchases like bring in Estupinian, who, again, like a year or two ago, people would have expected to move like Madrid or something. And now he's rocking up at Brighton to replace Cucurella. They make a huge profit on it. They end up at plus 60 million in net spend this window. And they're like a better team now. Now, in light of recent events today, as we record that could change. Graham Potter obviously is a fantastic manager that's able to help develop his players as players, as men, as as parts within his team and their structure. Him leaving is going to have a huge detrimental impact. But even with him gone, it's so clear how well they're run, so clear how well their scouting department does their jobs that I'm not really worried about them. Like even losing a manager of Potter's abilities in the middle, well, not middle, but once the season has started, should be really damaging. But because of the signings that they made, because of the fact that losing players doesn't seem to have had that much of a detrimental effect on them, I think they're probably going to be fine regardless. I've given them an A-. minus. We have our first big disagreement here. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean... I had them, going into the summer, I didn't think they'd lose Cucurella, so I hadn't marked down a um, a left wing back for them. But I had them needing a starting centre-back to fill out the three with Dunk and Webster, uh, a backup midfielder, because they were losing a midfielder, I thought they should bring someone in, a starting number nine, a backup right wing back behind Tyreek Lamptey. Now, as things stand, Lamptey is the backup, but I expect that that will change as we go forward. Uh, a backup centre-back, which they did address by bringing in Levi Colwell. Now, the reason I don't have him down as a starter is because he's only in on loan with no option to buy. So I don't know how long they'll keep him. Um, they brought in Julio Cesar Enciso and Simon Adringa, Ad- Adingra, sorry, um, two young players. Adingra's gone on loan. I don't know how much Enciso's going to play. He's meant to be very, very talented. But for me, this is just 
an example of Brighton leaving themselves a little bit short. I, you're not getting enough goals from Danny Welbeck across the course of the season to accomplish your goals. And I don't think Joe, Joe Veltman should be starting every week in the Premier League. So for me, I like the players they brought in. Gilmore, I'm I'm not overly pushed on, but he, I can see him being a good backup for Alexis McAllister. For me, I have it as a C because I think they've missed on the two big things they needed, which was the starting centre-back and the starting number nine. And when you see them with a profit of 60-odd million for the window... You're like, why didn't that go into those two positions yeah, like Burnley last January? Exactly. I think you should have been investing in getting the players in that you need. Um, now, obviously, look, Graham Potter is gone now. And we don't know who the new manager will be. And the new manager might decide to play a completely different way. He might play with a back four, in which case a centre-back is no longer necessary. But you still need a striker. You don't have... You've sold yeah, the mode. Potter system kind of doesn't need that good of a striker, but... Potter system doesn't, but Potter system but also comes doesn't in. get you a lot of goals. I mean, they've, they haven't scored more than 45 goals in a single Premier League season since they came up. And eventually, that is going to become a problem. It became a problem for Burnley. Now, I know they're a much more attractive team than Burnley, but they still win in the small margins the same way Burnley did. They still win close games. They graft out points against big teams, and they beat those in and around them. And they do it by being really good defensively and by being able to nick a goal. Burnley did the same thing. Now, Burnley obviously didn't score as many goals as Brighton. But Burnley also were, at times, a little bit better defensively than Brighton. So I, I just feel like they went, look, they went all in on Darwin Nunes two years ago. Uh, not even two years, yeah, two years ago, the summer of 2020. Mm. So nobody can tell me they didn't want a striker. And yet we're sitting here two years later and they still haven't bought one in. And nobody can convince me that when Graham Potter went home of an evening and thought about his team, he thought, Danny Welbeck, perfect. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. And now he's moved to a club that also doesn't really have a recognized number nine. <laughs> no, but they've got Broya, they've got Aubameyang, and I think Broya is actually the one who's Aubameyang, ideal yeah. for him. That's I think if he, true. If he'd gotten Broya in that deal for Cucurella, I wonder if he might have stayed. I don't know that them failing to properly back him in the summer transfer market wasn't a part of why he decided to leave. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'd probably knock them a little bit because, like you said, the the striker thing becomes a much bigger issue for whoever is going to come in next. But maybe they didn't know that. I don't know. I'll, I'll drop them to a B. But, yeah, I still think it was slightly better than you did. Right. We move on then to Graham Potter's new team, <laughs> Chelsea Football Club. Um, <laughs> Going into the summer... I thought they needed four players. Two starting centre-backs, a backup wing-back on the right, and a backup wing-back on the left. Instead, they played fantasy football. Uh, they did sign the two centre-backs. They brought in Koulibaly and Fafana, who are both very, very good. Then they... but Now, I will say, they massively overpaid for Fafana. They also very much overpaid for Cucurella. Uh, you needed a backup to Ben Chilwell, not a replacement for Ben Chilwell. 
They did not address the right wing back spot. They did, however, bring in Raheem Sterling, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Dennis Zakaria on loan, and then three young players. Carney Chukwameka from Aston Villa, a big overpay for a player who proven absolutely nothing and had one year left on his deal. Uh, Cesare Casede from Inter for 12 million. And Gabriel Slanina, who's by all accounts uh, an exceptionally talented young goalkeeper from Chicago Fire for just over 8 million. The end result is far better than the process. The process was messy. They signed Cucurella because a deal for Nathan Aki fell through, who's a mm-hmm. completely different type of player, who's a centre back. Cucurella's a wing back. Now, we know he's played centre back in a three, but you're not going to get away with that at a top club. Um, I I really like the addition of Sterling. I think it's actually one of the better moves anybody in the league made this summer. Like I said, I think Fafana is very good, but they have overpaid. But maybe they balanced it out by getting Koulibaly a little bit underpriced. All things considered, I would I would have given them an A minus. However, they bought these players for Thomas Tuchel. Now they've got Graham Potter. Now I know both of them have played a back three, but Potter's system and how he plays and how he builds is quite different to Thomas Tuchel's. And there's a couple of them that I don't know will be all that well suited to what Graham Potter wants. Now, we know Cucurella will be because he thrived under him. But I do worry a little bit about Fafana and Koulibaly and how they'll do under Potter, unless Koulibaly plays in the middle of a three. Um, I think Aubameyang could well be a bit of a messy fit. But I think I'll leave it at, I think I'll put it at a B plus because overall, I do think they did well in who they got in. I just think they they made a show of themselves a little bit, and Todd Bowley exposed himself as a bit of a clown throughout the summer process. I agree that they brought in a lot of really good players, but like I was just joking about with the Brighton thing. It, is Aubameyang, who two years ago proved he wasn't good enough at the Premier League level anymore, the the number nine that you want. I, I agree with you. I think at this point they should probably just rely on Armando Broja. But like that can't have been the plan to lose Lukaku after one year to, you know, never get the most out of Timo Werner, who I'm sure is going to be a success again. Um, just didn't really work in, in what they were doing. Although, you know, he missed open goals. <laughs> you can't really account for that. But I, I don't know. I, I think I'm a little harsher on them. They they net spent over two hundred million for a manager that they sacked two weeks after the window closed. Exactly. Um, now there are reports coming out that they they talked about this as early as last January. Then gave him a lot of control over the players to bring in, and See, then got rid of him anyway. This is the thing, right? First of all, nobody currently making decisions at Chelsea was there back then, so there's there's just no correlation there. This is journalists trying to take shots at a manager who wasn't always the friendliest to them. Mm. They were going to give him a new contract three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, they were talking about giving him a new contract. And Yes, he approached his 100th match for them. Yeah, and they, it was Todd Bowley who, number one, appointed himself as co-sporting director, and number two, forced Tuchel to be the other co-sporting director despite Tuchel being very clear that he didn't want any part of it. Like, Tuchel spoke out 
in a press conference and said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in charge of recruitment. It's not for me. Apparently, one of the big things was a falling out over Cristiano. That Bowley wanted him and Tuchel didn't. And that tells me Tuchel knows what he's talking about and Bowley doesn't. Bowley wanted to make a splash and he made a splash. He spent large sums of money overpaying for players like Cucurella and Fafana. Good, very good players. But I mean, Cucurella's at best a 40 million left back and Fafana's at best a 50 million centre back. And you paid 62 and 75 million for them. Um, they've signed splashy players like Fer- like Sterling and Koulibaly and Aubameyang, who doesn't really make sense. And I assume someone else steered the ship with Chukwameka, Kasady and Slanina. I assume those were deals they had maybe in the works before Bowley took over. But like you said, I mean, you, you allow him the control to help bring in the players and not only bring them in, but send out other players as well. I mean, are we sure that Graham Potter wouldn't be happier with Romelu Lukaku as an option or with Timo Werner as an option? I think he probably would be. So, I don't know. I just think I just think the whole club is a bit of a circus at the minute. Do you think, because this, this was a big question when, when Conte came to Tottenham, was like, will Conte break Tottenham and make them fit what he's used to doing, which ultimately is what has seemingly happened? Or or would it go the other way around? Do you think Potter can help, air quotes, fix Chelsea? Or do you think that because his style is so different to how Chelsea are typically run, this is like an 18-month appointment? I think it's an 18-month appointment. I really do. He, I think he might see the end of a second year, and that will be it. He's he, his, It's very notable that he's been appointed head coach and not manager. And I think that's by design by him. Because I think he knows he's walking into a very risky situation at a club with no track record of giving managers time or or patience or support. Like, he signed a five-year contract. The last Chelsea manager to last five years at Chelsea was sacked in 1974. Oh, wow. So, you know, uh, that's a bit of a red flag, I think, for any manager who considers that job. For for context, Graham Potter was born in 1975 and is 47 years of age. So this is a club that's always had upheaval as, as manager, not just under Roman, but under Ken Bates and before that. This is a club that's never been run properly. Like, you cannot find any records of Chelsea being a well-run club. When Ken Bates bought the club, He bought the club for a pound and took on millions in debt. Millions. That was in 1982 he bought the club. Roman bought the club on the brink of bankruptcy in 2003. So I was born in 82. Chelsea Football Club in my entire life have never been well run. They've always been accumulating debt. They've always been loss-making. And even before my life, even maybe before Graham Potter was born, they have been a loss-making enterprise. And if this is the way they're going to be run now, nothing's going to change. What grade did you give them? I gave them a B-. B-. Right. 
let's move along then. I think you have Crystal Palace. Yeah, I do. So um, I've actually given them a, a pretty good grade. Not loads of business from them, but very good and efficient work. I, I think Decore is easily the gem of this window for them and, and maybe just overall. Um, obviously, they, they would have preferred to have just kept Gallagher. Very different profiles, obviously. Uh, Decore isn't meant to be uh, as attacking, although he's already top five in shots and chases created for them this season, which I find to be quite interesting. But he's also uh, a lot more physical and more capable of playing as a defensive midfielder, which I think gives them a lot of flexibility in terms of tactics and, and team selection. Um, I thought Johnson was a really good nab. Tottenham were circling, really wanted him, but they managed to get him in. Gaita can leave on a free next year. He wants to go back to Spain. So I thought that was a really good uh, move on their part. I don't know what his ceiling is, but, you know, young English goalkeeper. I mean, maybe he's not that young anymore. 29, I think, isn't he? <laughs> Is he? Yeah. I thousand-kneeged myself all over again. Um, but <laughs> regardless... Getting him into to at least then probably be more of a stopgap than than kind of be a goalkeeper of the future for them, I think is is still a pretty good deal. Bring in Richards, who I think is a promising center back mm. talent, which is probably where I think he's better off. But he can cover right back, which has obviously been a weakness for them ever since they had that one year where uh, uh, they solved the issue that he immediately left for for Manchester United. I honestly thought they were going to be able to to bring him back in the summer there, Juan Basaka, but. Um, ends up no. So this is a, this is a good stopgap option. That's okay. The idea is center back long term, but he can fill right back um, <laughs> a, a little bit like Sinchenko, which we were mentioning earlier. Um, and then I don't really know how to pronounce his name, but Ebuwe, Ebuwe, Ebuwe. Yeah, there nailed it. Um, I think is just a great. They do this like almost every year. It was uh, Eze, and then it was Olise. Just every year they seem to be like. We're just going to take a gamble on one super high upside championship talent. Just just see how it goes. Yeah. Um, and I love that they they keep doing that because you're basically just filling your squad with really talented youngsters and trusting your development staff and your coach to get the most out of them over time. So I really like that one as well. Um, and then a move that didn't happen, which we've <laughs> mentioned probably every time we've ever done this, is that they managed to keep on to Zaha, who seems to be genuinely happy there, is playing better, is playing for one of his footballing idols in Vieira. Um, and, and yeah, seems, seems happy to retire there, which obviously has not always been the case. Um, the results haven't gone as well as I thought they would coming into the year, but I was confident that they'd be, uh, top 10 come the end of the season. And I don't think this window did anything to really dissuade me from that. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, I, I, again, I think they could have done a little bit more. Uh, I had them needing a starting keeper. They addressed that. And they, look, Johnson's a, a good goalkeeper don't know that he's pulling up any trees. I think if he'd gone to Spurs, he would have been a backup. Um, I thought they needed a starting right back because, you know, Ward and Klein are both past their best. But maybe they've got hope that Nathan Ferguson can finally overcome the injuries and, and finally play for them. Uh, I think 18 months after they signed them at this point. Um, they needed both starting central midfielder and starting defensive midfielder. Ducure filled the defensive midfielder position but they needed a Gallagher replacement it's a shame they couldn't keep him I know they tried to to get him back close to deadline day and uh, Chelsea just said no uh, I thought they needed two two backup centre-backs they only brought in one in Chris Richards but I do really like the signing and then Abue as well just looks like a, a, a marvellous talent so I think they've done well with the players they've brought in they've I think again just left themselves a little bit short but at the same time, 
I feel like they're probably because they've still got, you know, development from Elise. They're still trying to get Eze back to full speed after the Achilles injury and they're changing his position. They probably didn't want to do too much. They had a very messy preseason with half the squad one place, half the squad the other. So I don't think that helped with the harmony of getting things gelled really quickly, which is what Vieira did last year. He gelled the team together really quickly. So I do wonder if maybe they looked at it and thought, with the preseason we've had, we're, we're not going to try and bring too much in at once. We'll go again in January. So overall, I'd give them a B minus. Um, I, I like Decoury. I agree with you. He might be the gem of the summer. He he will not be there for long. Palace fans should enjoy him and Eze and Elise as long as they can. Those lads are destined for, with the greatest respect, bigger things. Not saying better things. I'm saying bigger clubs, and um, they've just done really well to 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 get them in the door. So credit mm. to them. They 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 continue to recruit well. Yeah, and I gave them an A minus. I don't think I ever actually said it. I just said I gave them a good. Actually, a B minus is a bit is a bit low, isn't it? I'll go a B. I'll go a B. I think it's fairer on a B. Um, right. Next up then is my dearly beloved Everton. <laughs> Uh, my favourite part of this every year. But, Kev, would you be surprised if I told you I actually quite like what they've done this summer? No, i buy it. So, obviously, the big outgoing was Richarlison. And I think they got a really good price for him at £60 million. I I wouldn't pay £60 million for him, but I can understand why a club would pay £60 million for him, because he is a very good player. But they managed to keep hold of their primary source of goals in Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And to me, that was massive. I really like what they brought in. Now, I at the start of the summer, I thought they needed starting centre-back, starting central midfielder, starting defensive midfielder, Richarlison backup, backup, or sorry, Richarlison replacement, backup striker, backup winger. Now, Neil Mopay is not a great player, but he does fit as a Richarlison replacement in that he can play through the middle and he can play wide. He's obviously a downgrade, but, you know, when you sell for 60 and buy for 16, you're expecting a downgrade. But he'll do a lot of what Richarlison did for them. And he can play through the middle, so he can also sort of be the backup striker if need be. Uh, Backup winger, they brought in Dwight McNeil. I think Dwight McNeil's a very good player. I think he's a very good player with a chance to be a, a long-time high-end player in the league. Do you move him centrally? I might consider in the long haul moving him into a central midfield position in a three. The left side of a central midfield three, I think he could play in and potentially thrive in. Not under Frank Lampard, though. Under a coach who's a bit, well, just better. Flat out better because I don't think Lampard's any good. Um, I really like the get of James Tarkovsky on a Bosman. I know they paid a premium in wages to get him, but he's a solid Premier League operator. He's a good centre-back. They brought in Ruben Vanagra, who can play left-back or left-wing-back, so it makes sense to bring him in. I wouldn't be keen on the Connor Cody deal, I have to say. 
uh, I'm not a fan, and especially not in a four. Uh, Idrissa Ganagay, they brought back. It is what it is. I mean, he, he's well past his best, but he'll run around a bunch and kick people. They never managed to replace him, so they were just like, maybe he'll replace himself. That's exactly it. They brought him in to replace himself after he left four years ago. Um, I like the get of James Garner, and I think they've paid a good price for him. I think he's a, a busy, clever... Don't know that he has a high upside, but he's got a low ceiling type of midfielder. I'm sorry, a low, a low floor type of midfielder. He will be a good player. He just might not never be a great player, but he'll be a good player at the very least. But Amadou Onana, if Dakure is not the best signing of the summer, it might be Onana. I think this guy is absolutely outstanding and I can't believe he went to Everton if he had gone to West Ham I think him and Declan Rice would have monstered most midfields in the Premier League and I think I would be probably talking about West Ham now I know they've had a bad start but I'd probably be talking about West Ham and a top four challenge I think he's that good I think he's that much of a of a floor raiser, not just for himself, for the whole team. It's been notable since he came into the team how much better they are. He's dynamic. He's powerful. He wins the ball. He carries the ball. He makes good decisions. And he's so young and has so much potential. I think it's a brilliant signing. So... While I like the rest of the business other than Cody, I love the signing of Onana. And for that reason, it's an A- minus from me. The only thing well, they didn't do was get a backup, an actual backup nine for, for Calvert-Lewin. Which they did probably need to do, given all of his injury history. But uh, yeah, you, you said you really liked it, and you definitely backed it up. I probably have them closer to a B or a B+. Plus. Um, I think that Everton were in a weird position because in the past we've kind of bashed them for splitting their interests between how they're building for now and also for the future rather than like kind of planning on a window. And I feel like they've done that again, but uh, they have to make sure that they stay up in the Premier League again. So I I like buy it a little bit more this time. I I don't think they're in serious trouble of it anyway, but yeah, I I do like the vast majority of these players that, that have been brought in. I just think kind of like some of the other clubs we've talked about is who's who's the manager going to be? Because do you like this window specifically for Lampard or do you like this window in terms of the talent they've accumulated for whoever comes next? I've been working under the assumption that Frank Lampard will not be Everton manager when we return from the World Cup break. Is it just Sean Dyche? It could well be. It could well be. But you know what? James Garner... Ideal Sean Dyche midfielder. Dwight McNeil. Who do you make his name under? Neil Mopay, Sean Dyche type of forward. Idrissa Gay, Sean Dyche type of midfielder. Yeah. Connor Cody, I'm not sure he'll have much use for because he's not a good enough defensive player. But Tarkovsky, he'll love. Now, Onana's not a Dyche type of midfielder, but I, I think Dyche will lo- would love him. Uh, that is that is I am working under the assumption that when we return from the World Cup, Sean Dyche will be the Everton manager. I 
I actually think they are at risk of relegation because of, of how poor I think Frank Lampard is. I genuinely think he is by far the worst permanent manager in the Premier League. I say permanent because he is a better manager than Adam Lallana and maybe Gary mm-hmm. O'Neill at Bournemouth. But I think, like, I think realistically, if you look through who the Premier League managers are, are Gerard's not not good either. Now, let's be clear. But Arteta's okay. Frank is very good. Potter's very good. Vieira's good. Silva's very good. Marsh is very good. Rogers is. Rogers is a lot better than Frank Lampard. I'm not going to give him any credit. Klopp is great. <laughs> Guardiola's great. Ten Hag is very good. Howe is good. Cooper's very good. Hasenhutl is very good. Conte is great. Moyes is very good. And Bruno Lage is very good. Like, there's not many bad managers in this league anymore. It's literally just Gerrard and Lampard. And I don't think either of them will be in their jobs for a whole lot longer. I think those two and Rodgers yeah. are, are gone before or during the World Cup. Yeah, wouldn't be shocking, would it? But yeah, I, I, I've given them a B. A B. Right, so next up then, uh, you get to take on the other white shirt-wearing team in London. Fulham. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm just going to categorize this as a B plus, but an A plus if they stay up <laughs> for, for potential obvious reasons. If Fulham had had this window in like 2019, this would have been one of the best windows in history. Mm. You have Carlos Vinicius and Dan James and Kevin Mbabu and Andreas Pereira, who was this wunderkind at Manchester United and Levin Kurosawa and Diop and Leno. Like all of those players were like early to mid twenties and expected to have like these like incredible careers. And then it just kind of didn't work for any of them to a T. Um, I, I don't know which one you consider to have reached the highest peak. I guess Kurzawa technically going to PSG is pretty good. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting that that they've just brought in all of these players that like. Sorry, my dog is freaking out. Um, that they brought in all of these players that had this like expected really high potential, but have just rounded out into you know more senior, more rounded players. I think there's still talent in there for Pereira and Carlos Vinicius is big and fast and can finish at times. So that's, that's a pretty repeatable skill set. but uh, yeah, overall, I'm, I'm pretty surprised that they've gone this route, but I really don't hate it. Um, and then, you know, you have Mitrovic scoring every week, which is always going to help. Um, obviously the best signing here is Paulinha. Another one, like we mentioned with, uh, is that three straight clubs mm. where they got a midfielder where you wouldn't have expected them to have been able to? Um, but yeah, I, I think that's incredible. He, he's really, really good. And I'm shocked that no bigger clubs were into him. I Like the fact that United weren't in for any of the three that we've just yes. mentioned is shocking, honestly. But anyway, he'll be a driving force in their midfield for years unless they go down. And then he's going to be a driving force until that happens. And then, as you said for the last one, move on to probably he'll bigger He'll be endlessly things. on loan until they come back <laughs> up. And then he'll be on loan again when they go back down. He'll be the new Zambo. <laughs> he would be. He would be for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think with the amount of players that they brought in with experience, with talent, um, with Polina being the big the big kind of uh, crown jewel in this window. I, I'm pretty confident they're going to stay up this year. I I do wonder if it's just a numbers game, though. And unfortunately, like when you look at the Premier League, 
how many teams like do they don't you get think? to say there's definitely three worst teams yes kind of thing? exactly like i can say for certain there's one worst team bournemouth and after that i don't think so i don't think there's anybody who is measurably worse than them but they do have a good manager very good manager and they've got a striker who is scoring every single week and as long as he continues to do that they're <laughs> going to give themselves a chance because they're hard to beat. They work really hard. I I like the window. I think they did. The only thing I'd knock them for is how late they've left it to bring in so many of these players. Again. Again. They absolutely they haven't learned refuse to learn from their own lessons. Tony Khan obviously very busy with his uh, all elite wrestling and whatever else. But they needed a starting keeper. They got Leno. They needed a starting right back. They got Mbappu. They needed a starting centre back. They got Issa Diop. They needed a starting central midfielder. They got Joe Polina. Needed a starting attacking midfielder. Brought in Andreas Pereira. Needed a backup left back. They brought in Kurzawa. A backup centre back. They brought in Shane Duffy. I wouldn't be keen on that one. They needed a backup kind of attacking midfielder. They brought in Manor Solomon, who's a very good player. Unfortunately, going to be out for a little while. Uh, but with him being out, they've brought in Willian. So, I mean, he is washed, but at least they filled the need. Um, and obviously, they they let us... St- oh, I can't remember the name of the striker that they let go on loan. Uh, went to Middlesbrough. Yeah, Rodrigo Moniz. So, they let him on go on loan. They brought in Carlos Finicius, which is an upgrade. And then they brought in Dan James, which I know people will scoff. Because he hasn't had a particularly good time at Leeds. And he didn't have a great time at United. But he has one thing that you can't teach, which is lightning speed. And late in games, when you're holding on to a lead, you can stick him on a wing and stick Mitrovic up front. And as you bed in and park your buses, you are going to have the opportunity to spring counterattacks by having a massive striker who can hold the ball up and is strong as an ox and an incredibly quick winger who can go from the edge of your penalty box to the edge of their penalty box in a matter of seconds. And even with or without the ball, and he's not afraid to just kick the ball down the line and run after it. And he will beat pretty much everybody in the league in a foot race. So I don't hate the signing at all. Um, question. When when mm. you guys had Carlos Vinicius in on loan, you had an option to buy. Am I wrong in thinking that was about $40 million? No, that's right. As you know, a lot of those Portuguese players have pretty uh, <laughs> unrealistic buy options that people negotiate like half of. But I wanted to keep him personally. Uh, I think we're at a better place now with Richarlison being able to cover multiple mm. positions and all that. But at the time, he came in, and when he needed to spell Harry Kane, he scored goals. Not yeah. in the Premier League, which is probably why we didn't buy him, but I forget which European guy. It was probably Europa League. And it was Europa League. It's the time, domestic yeah. ones. But he scored goals when he played, and he gave – Kane the opportunity to not have to play every match, which at the time Mourinho had been the first manager he'd ever had that told Kane to sit down and rest, yeah. um, which is probably one of the reasons why he just made it through his first full season ever without an injury. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually really like Carlos Vinicius in case that didn't come across. And I, at the time, was a little disappointed that we didn't bother trying to bring him back. Yeah, look, I think I think all things considered, I agree with you. I think it's a B plus window. And it's an A window if they stay up. And uh, he just to confirm, he had 10 goals and three assists in just over a thousand minutes for you guys. He only scored one in the Premier League, but he played 300 minutes 
So not a mm. bad turnaround, not a bad turnaround at all. Right, last one for this part of the podcast, and we will be back then later, well, early next week, in all likelihood, uh, with part two on Kev's feed. I will take Leeds United. Now, again, I like a lot of what they did here, but I think they've left themselves short a little bit. So I had them needing, would you believe, nine players. And they have brought in, they've brought in eight, but they've left, they've actually left two of the positions I thought they needed to fill unfilled. So the one they brought in that I didn't consider was Darko Gabby, the young kid they got from City in the kind of side deal in the Calvin Phillips one. He's a young wide forward and can play up front. Talented, but he won't play any part this year. They needed a starting right back. They got Rasmus Christensen, who's very good, and a big upgrade on Luke Ayling, so that's a good signing. They needed a starting centre-back because Cock and Lorente are injury-prone and Liam Cooper's not very good and Struik is young and error-prone. They didn't get that centre-back in, so that's a disappointment. They needed two starting midfielders because Calvin Phillips left. They brought in Mark Roca from Bayern Munich and Tyler Adams from RB Leipzig. And I really like both players. And I think both of them fit together really well. And while neither of them are as good as Calvin Phillips, I think the pairing is better than Calvin Phillips and anyone that he played with at Leeds. So I think they've upgraded their midfield. They needed a starting attacking midfielder. They brought in Brendan Aronson. He has been outstanding so far this season. They needed a Rafinha replacement. They brought in Sinistera, who I think is so much fun. Really good player. Now, he is kind of, he's a right-footed left winger. Rafinha was a left-footed right winger, but he's making it work on the right wing. Yeah, you mentioned the the footedness thing and how he's playing differently than Rafinha, but Rafinha kind of didn't fit lead system anyway. He was just their best player by a distance. Um, obviously, different managers with Bielsa and now moving on to an American that is not Ted Lasso. But um, yeah, I was I was just interested in that because he does play with a different foot. But I think that might actually help. Yeah, it might do. Like you said, even when Marsh took over at the end of last season, it was sort of like there was a system. And he operated outside of it, but it was fine because he was able to win them games and win them points. Um, So that was fine. But I think Sinistero will fit a lot better in the system. Uh, I thought they needed a backup left back. They haven't addressed that. That's a concern. They needed a backup striker because Patrick Bamford's very injury prone. They haven't addressed that. And that, to me, is the biggest concern here. And they needed a veteran third-choice goalkeeper. That was the last thing I had. A veteran third-choice goalkeeper. Because the two lads they had, Melier and Klassen, are both kids. Um, while he's not a great goalkeeper, he is a veteran third-choice keeper. Joel Robles fits the bill. So all things considered, they've done well this window, and they've probably about broken even when you consider the money they got for Phillips and Rafinha. And I think they've improved their team overall, certainly in terms of fitting the system that the manager wants to play. I am just a little bit concerned that they didn't address the centre-back or the backup striker primarily. Um, so overall, I'm going to give them a B. 
Yeah, I, I've gone for a C plus, but that that feels harsh. It feels like the opinion before the season started, but I don't want to be like too swayed by by a small sample size. But coming into the season, I was very confident they were going to be worse than Fulham, who we were just talking about. Now I'm obviously less sure. They they pulled off some pretty good results and have looked pretty decent as well. Um, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people think I like hate Jesse Marsh because I kept saying I thought he'd fail by the World Cup and then be the next U.S. Men's National Team manager. Um, I do not think he'd fail. I just didn't think the pairing was was particularly great. But what he's been doing has been has been pretty good. Um, the, like you said, the Salzburg duo have been playing pretty well. Sinister is incredibly fun to watch. Very hard to agree on that. Um, and yeah, they, they might be all right. This is another one where like, I feel like it kind of depends on if they stay up, but I'm leaning more, more like they will. So yeah, probably, probably B, B plus territory for me. Right. And that is it. That is part one. That is the first 10 teams done. We will be back in a few days on the EPL roundtable feed. Um, which you can find on all your podcast providers. We'll also obviously be tweeting it from the EPL Index account. Kev will be tweeting it from his account, and we'll it'll be tweeted off the EPL Roundtable account on Twitter as well. So hope you enjoyed, and we will see you in a few days. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.